Sometimes it's a lovely bake, but sometimes it's a bit dreadful. Welcome to the Gingham Altar. I'm Mac. And I'm Megan. Every week we tackle another episode of everyone's favorite baking competition, the Great British Bake Off. And after we've said our piece, we try to put our bakes where our mouths are and replicate some of the recipes from today's episode. This week we are taking a look at Series 10, Episode 1, It's Cake Week. <sighs> cake Week. Quintessentially what baking is about is a cake. Yeah, yeah, I guess I can see that. Cake or bread? Right. I know for you, because you do so much bread, I figured right. you were going to fight me on this. Be but like, when I hey. think of baking, I think of cake. Uh, yeah, and it's funny, though, because, like, do you would you say you've made more cakes than breads? Absolutely. Okay, because I, like, I'm up to doing two loaves a week now. <laughs> because Ryan started doing sandwiches for lunches, and that has, like, really thrown me out of whack. So, yeah, I've got a potato loaf coming up later this afternoon that needs to happen. But you bake just to have it as a staple. I don't ever yes. keep enough of it in the house to do it that way. And when I make bread, we're just kind of having bread. Right. Okay. It's like a fancy loaf that you're going to have with dinner or... Right. Yeah. Or even if I did it, it's like, well... It doesn't have any preservatives in it, so it's going to keep for about 36 hours. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, ours does pretty well, and I have a weird tip for that. I think Ryan's the one who did it first, but it kind of works. Like, if you do, like, a loaf in a loaf pan or or a boule, if you slice it down the middle and then work your way out from that, slicing one off of each side so that you can clap the two cut ends together when you wrap it back up, that does seem to help with it going super stale at the end. Oh, because it gives you crust all the way around. Yes. For the entire length. That is pretty clever. I'll yeah. have to give that a shot. He did that the first time and I was like, why did you ruin my love? And then like, <laughs> and then it ended up being a good idea. <laughs> I've also read that um, we've switched to wrapping it in a towel rather than putting it in plastic. And I, I'm not fully sure on why this works, but I think it has something to do with condensation, like not trapping water in there with it. And yeah. it, oddly enough, it's not going stale any faster that way. Well, that makes sense to me because I've started putting a paper towel in with my mixed greens that I buy for salads, and Does it, it is lasting so much longer than it used to Ooh, before. Ooh, okay. Well, I'll I get, be like notes. I can get like 10, 12 days out of it now. Whoa, dang. I know, right? Yeah. So. I'm- But we are not here to talk about bread or salad. We are here to talk about cake. cake. Back on topic. If you are following along with us and you're watching this on Netflix, I'm specifically speaking to my mother now, you want... (laughs) Hi, Mom. (laughs) Collection number seven, episode one. Which is the the most recent. Right. It's not even done yet. Right. Yes. So, but for people who have been watching along since the beginning, it's series 10, episode one. And they have gone back to something that they used to do in the earlier seasons with a baker's dozen of contestants. Yes. And the caveat there, I don't know if caveat's the right word, is that they always have the option of axing two people in an episode if two people are just extraordinarily crappy. And, or if they just, you know, had a boring episode and want to up the ante a little bit. That's something that they've remarked on a couple of times already this season. All right. So we get into the episode. I thought that this, op- this Wizard of Oz opening was like a turd in a punch bowl. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was a bad. Yeah. I did like seeing Noel dressed up as Dorothy. That was the shining light. Right. That's the only good part. But like, we could have just dressed him up as Dorothy. Yeah. And it took me a minute. Like, I was like, oh, it's because of the gingham. 
Wow, that was a long walk for this joke. That, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of wincing ones. But I will say overall throughout the episode, I feel like Noel and the other one, Sandy. Noel and Sandy are hitting their stride, like, for me. Absolutely. But but those scripted ones do make me wince. They I like the one-liners and them getting to be themselves in the tent much better. It's just not as natural. And so we get to see our baker's dozen of bakers walking into the tent for the first time. What a crew. I'm feeling good about this crew. Let's talk about it. I like this crew. I want to see if you agree with me about something, though. Okay. I think this might be the most conventionally attractive cast on this show ever. Huh. Okay. There aren't a lot of older people in this cast. They're almost all like 35 and under. There's like two. I took notes on all my characters, so I'm flipping through. We've got Amelia, the fashion designer from Halifax. We've got Jamie, who I wrote young twin. Oh, I thought you were going to say young twink, and I was like, also accurate. Oh, is he? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either, but young twin. No, no, that comes later. I'll I'll bring him up. Uh, (laughs) Michelle, I've got Welsh farm mom. Yeah, and she's very into being Welsh. Yes. Steph, uh, with the bangs, inspired by great-grandma Rosie, family classic car business. I know. I want to kind of have her life. Yeah, right? Uh, now, I want the next contestant's life. Rosie, the loopy vet. Oh, see, I wrote insane vet. I love her. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, she I wrote... put that bread to prove in her lizard thing, I was like... Oh, that's her Python mini. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> You're wacky. Yeah, I'm, and I'm into kind it. Of here for it. Yeah, me too. Like I and she's wacky, but it's one of those things where maybe it's it's a British thing, but like based on her tone alone, you would not guess that she's wacky. Based on her exterior, no. You have to listen to the details of what she's saying about her life to get how nuts it is. Exactly. And to jump ahead, I think that she might be crazier than Helena. She's the opposite kind of crazy. Right. Like, Helena wears her freak flag on her shoulders. You know, yes. she is at the head of the parade. And <laughs> I love her house. I'm very... It's insane, and I want everything in it. Me too. And all... Uh, what, what I saw of her bakes in this episode, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Right. She's not just a character. She's got the skills to back it up. Yes, absolutely. And you can tell that decorating is really her forte. And that's the opposite of me. So I have a lot of admiration for that when someone's like, I can make a cake look like anything. And I also appreciated when they were introducing her family that her dog got top billing over her husband and her child. <laughs> Flora was a distant third. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ouch. But she likes to spookify things. And I like that word. Did you get that she's like not just a baker? She's like crafty all around? I bet I could see that because I get the sense from her that there's not a lot of store-bought things, at least until very recently, that were her aesthetic. Definitely. Well, she's holding up a onesie that she's made for her daughter and it has bat wings on it. And Noel is pretty into Helena as well. He actually has somebody to play off of him and he's not the weirdo anymore. Yes, for sure. And, you know, especially since she had the goods this week, like she's not a stunt cast. She's going to be there. She could make it a good distance. Yeah, yeah. And that's... It's a funny thing. I thought about, well, we'll get to the technical in a little bit, but I think the technical this time was so difficult that it made me wonder 
Was it a good or a bad idea from a production standpoint to choose something so difficult right in the beginning? Because it definitely gave you an idea or it made you think you knew who was going to go the distance and who wasn't. Oh, that's a fair point. We should talk. All right, let's put a pen in that. And yeah, come back right. To that. Okay, okay. All right. So, so coming back to our characters, we've we, got Michael, our Scotch Indian guy who uh, masochist tried, who keeps cutting himself. Right. Yes. Um, and I keep going back and forth about whether I, or not I like his glasses. I mean, I like him. Yeah. <laughs> I I like everything about Michael. Michael's kind of my type. If Michael was good at math, I'd be there. Like, yeah, like, not, uh, watch, watch me find out he's gay. My gaydar is broken, by the way. Like, I'm I didn't even know you were gay sure until he, he told me. he is, because I've stalked his Instagram a little bit. And he's, conne- he's a theater manager, if I'm not mistaken, maybe. And I, I know that the RSC tweeted out at him, but I'm, I don't know if he works there or somewhere else. But I, I like him. And then we have Dan with, you know. A glorious a, chest tattoo. I love his chest piece, you know, but that's. Kind of as much as we got, you know, he he didn't have the greatest week. Yeah, he's a home care support for people with learning difficulties, which I take to mean slow. Like that he would go help somebody in their home, like learn to be a functioning adult, which is like the sweetest job for the sweetest person in the whole wide world. And so, of course, he likes to bake cake. And yeah, I love Dan. Yeah, he seems like the very definition of like a gentle soul. Yes, Absolutely, but with a great big chest tattoo. So, you know, right. takes you can times. be gentle and have a giant t- chest tattoo. Evidently. David, I wrote Pretty Lips Fitness Health Advisor. I wrote, oh, he's that kind of queen. Oh. <laughs> okay, so do you notice he does the pretty lip face like a he lot? He does. So there's a couple of different times this episode where I was wondering if he was wearing like a gloss on his lips. I mean, maybe. Like a subtle one. It's, it's yeah. pink, but... His, you know, his lip color was like so consistent that mm. I was like, hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, more power to him if he is. If you're on TV, you should wear a little makeup. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, if, I think most people wear a lot. He instantly got on my bad side when, he's like, when he said, I love healthy baking. <gasps> Me too. Oh my gosh. I talked to a friend about this and she was like, you're being silly. And I, uh, I was like, no, put butter in it. Don't make me feel bad for like wanting to eat a pile of calories, sir. It came to pass that that wasn't the only thing he made. Right. Yes. He wasn't going to try to make everything into an oat loaf. Right. And I actually kind of get the sense that maybe he's going to be our scientist of the season. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. You know, because if you're into healthy baking, then that means that you have to be good with substitutes. And, you know, he talks about uh, later on in the showstopper, he talks about adding glycerin to his cake to make it more steady and stable. And I was like, I don't know that everybody else is thinking on that level. No, no. Also, just jumping ahead a little bit, like he kind of, I felt differently about him when I saw how amazing his showstopper was and that he didn't try to do healthy substitutions for everything. And to be fair, his um, healthy or healthified cake actually did really well. It was a favorite with the judges. So let it slide. But I've got too many issues when it comes to baking, calorie counting, body positivity, whatever, to be like, I've, I've got a hard desire to pump the brake when somebody starts wanting to make healthy cookie. I mean, I've told you about my healthy cookie experience right. here on the show. But he, I mean, also, you know, his thing is he goes and helps people in third world countries with medical issues. So right. like, you can't really hate on him too hard. No. It was just like the, I think that, you know, the, like healthy baking and that super like body consciousness just kind of like hit a lever with both of us. And I knew it would as soon as it yeah. came out of his mouth. And you're like, mm. <laughs> oh, uh, funny thing about 
old David is that, so I watched the show with my husband, who is a sweet man. When David said something later in the show about getting an idea from a makeup tutorial, Ryan was like, do you think he's gay? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, man. I have questions about some of the cast, but like, David, I was right there with him from the word go. Yeah, yeah, that was, I just, I love it when... Ryan and I have those moments. I mean, like, and I'm dense. I can't tell. Like, but it's like, even even for me, that was like, yeah, sweetie. <laughs> See, and I got a lot of queer vibes off of this cast, but maybe that's just me. I mean, I think you've got to be pretty comfortable with, well, we'll, we'll go ahead and say that, I was going to say something that might have seemed, I don't know. Tell me how you feel about this. If you are gay, you're going to be more comfortable with doing something that is traditionally feminine because you're not not as hung up on being a dude and not doing certain things because you're a dude because you've already broken the hetero man rules. So, am I making I that get, up? Is that a thing? I get where you're going. I'm going to give you true. a little bit better context. Okay. Well, thank I think th- I think that there are people across the the gender and sexuality spectrum that are very concerned with uh you know their prototypical masculinity yeah i can see that anybody who's dated anybody who's very mask for mask which is a thing knows that that's there but what i will say is you're already kind of breaking the rules a little bit Mm -hmm. and so if you are inclined to break the rules that just kind of gives you further permission because it's like well people are already going to you know if you're at all concerned with what other people think well they're already judging you so fuck them you know you might as well keep going so then we have priya who I love her haircut, and she is an aspiring novelist, and apparently she writes her novels wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> it, it, it warms up all of her idea-making apparatus. I just thought that was like, you know, I've, heard, I've read stories about people writing novels in three-piece suits. That is just not what I would do. No. What were you thinking, PJs? Yeah, I'm thinking like a tank top and sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're wearing right now? It is. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a very lukewarm vibe off of Priya, but, you know, maybe she'll prove me wrong. Yeah, I don't think this was her episode exactly. No. But as the fact that we're still not through the cast yet shows, there's just a lot of bodies. And so, like, some people yeah. just had to be cut because they were in the middle. And there will be other episodes where they're brought more to the forefront. A character I really liked was Alice. Alice is super fun, I think. Uh, she's a bubbly geography teacher who uses cake to teach, I don't know, something. But I, she has wonderful hair, and that's kind of what's sticking with me. And then the final one is No, there are Henry. two. We've got two more. We missed we? Phil. Oh, we did miss Phil. I didn't write Phil down. And, and Phil I like is Phil. Like, He's one of my favorites. Yeah, Phil is great. Phil, like that thing I was saying about people not being, or about gay men maybe not having to be as hung up on their traditional masculinity. Well, Phil is clearly straight as hell uh, because he talks about his wife all the damn time. And <laughs> he is a truck driver biker. He is just a barrel of monkeys. He's super fun. Right. So, I, but I, I really like him. And then our last one is Henry. Henry is a 20-year-old English literature major and church organist who enjoys singing in his church choir. Yep. I would have wanted to bang Henry as a college student and would have been (laughs) very confused that he wasn't more into me. Yeah. uh... You never know. He's very British. It's a Britishy thing. Well, he actually reminds me of the actor, the little, the kid actor who was in Millions or also the kid that was in Love Actually. Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit older like both of those actors are now older than henry is but he you know 
he does have that boyish quality. He's going to look like a boy until he's 35. Like John Mulaney. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we are finally at the Signature Bank. So they have two and a half hours to make a fruitcake with a preponderance of fruit. Love that. Do Love. you like fruitcake? Um, I don't tend to like anything particularly boozy. So not the traditional Christmas fruitcake, no. But I don't mind like, oh, you want to put chopped coconut and bits of mango or whatever? Sure, I like it fine. It's something I could take or leave. Right. You know, this is the this is the dish I made this week. And so basically what I have kind of come to is it's no easier or harder than any other regular kind of cake. Okay. So it just depends on if it's your taste. And the reason it's so classical is because dried fruit keeps into the winter. Mm-hmm. So you can make it during the holidays. And dried fruit is sweet. So you don't have to have as much sugar or honey or any of that stuff on hand to make a dessert. So it can be a bit cheaper. Well, no, no, not cheaper. It, no, it's not cheaper necessarily. I was thinking but, honey being expensive for some reason. But you can kind of look back into time and see like, you know, when sugar and honey were very expensive, you know, like turn of the 20th century kind of thing. Right. This would have been a much better uh, something to have around. Here is what I will say as somebody who has become more intimately familiar with fruitcakes. Two and a half hours is it lightning fast to make one of these. Ooh, yeah, because don't wouldn't they bake very slowly? You cook them at low temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the States, we would cook them at about 300 degrees. And typically, you want to at least partially rehydrate the fruit. Oh, no. So, so most like fruitcake recipes recommend that you leave them in booze, apple juice, whatever you're using, minimum an hour. Oh my gosh. And that's like an hour overheat so that it really kind of works its magic. Some recipes really recommend that you leave it overnight. And uh, at one point, Prue mentions that to somebody that she actually never does the the make ahead that people recommend. They are, you know, if, if it looked like anybody was struggling with their decorations or to get there, they were booking it for a reason. Because those cakes were hot, hot, yes. hot. Somebody, I think it was Phil, did like a tube of marzipan through his, and I thought it looked super unpleasant just to have yeah, a little Yeah, I, I kind of didn't like the way that that looked either. Yeah. I, maybe it was tasted pleasant, but I thought it looked kind of out of place. When I worked at um, Habitat, they had a cake mix that was called the Tunnel of Fudge, and it was kind of supposed to make that same effect, and I'm just not about that life. I can't do it. It depends on if you like the thing that's in it, and I feel like that's where fruitcake really comes down is... It's dried fruit, so what do you like? Mm-hmm. And what you put in it really determines what it is because, yeah, I mean, like, that's going to be the primary flavor more than likely. Do you have a favorite dried fruit? I'm about a fig. I can get behind figs. If It's just the amount that we eat. I eat a lot of craisins. Yeah, I like those too. Which cranberries are, which I'm just going to throw this out there. Craisins are not health food. They have so much sugar added to them that they are... You know, they're candy. Yes. Because cranberries are not naturally sweet if you've never dealt with them before. And that's actually like a huge licensing like problem in America. <laughs> you know, it, it's because like people who make raisins are like, why don't cranberries say that they, they're, you know, they say that like, no, you know, why don't cranberries have to say that they added all this sugar in? And the cranberry producers are like, well, they're inedible if you don't add sugar. And they're like, yeah, but you <laughs> added all that sugar. Yes. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm like... <laughs> There's a whole lot of lobbying and all that stuff around that. So I thought that by and large, everybody did a pretty decent job. Yes. As long as they got their cake baked. Yes. And did anybody, I think everybody did though, didn't they? Helena had an issue. Helena had a little bit of an issue and our truck driver, Phil, 
No, Phil's was fine. I'm sorry. It was uh, Dan who doubled the size of his to add more fruit oh, and it yeah. didn't cook. Yeah. I actually thought that I, I really liked the way that Steph's looked with the, the a candied fruit topping always looks great. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's all edible, you know, and can kind of go with the cake, Big I think it really points. works. Yeah. I like that. We had our first, you know, throwback Great British Bake Off. Not a compliment where it looks a bit rustic. That's a nice one. That's very, very, you know, very. And, and there were people who had problems. So like Helena's bat wings didn't come together. Uh, Henry shattered his house. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, and then he like just kind of like took it all inside and like shoved it in a little bottle and like buried it deep in his heart. And I was like, you should scream about that. <laughs> it's healthier to to scream about that. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be deeply angry. There was a lot of skill on display, and I thought that, you know, as a, I think something to just kind of get their feet underneath them, this was a fine first challenge. Do you have yeah. any thoughts about it? Not really. I mean, it was, I feel like it was intended to be a little bit of a softball, a chance for them to show who, who they were, what they were working with, and it did its job there. And, you know, I mean, because they're also nervous. I mean, Michael Bless his cut heart. his hand off. So Yeah, tried. <laughs> All right. So then they go into the technical, where they had one hour and 45 minutes to make angel food slices, which is three different kinds of angel food stacked on top of each other with, what is it, an Italian meringue between them? Italian silky meringue buttercream. buttercream. Yeah, yeah, there we go. They, they use word silky like 80 times. That's with a feathered it. top. Yes. It looks like a headache to me. Big thing is, can you make a Genoese sponge? And so many of them confessed that they had never made one or that they had only ever made one and it was terrible. And it kind of surprised me because like, I mean, have I made a Genoese sponge? No. Am I on the Great Bridge Bake Off? Also no. So I kind of feel like these are the things that you would jump on and like at least practice a little. I don't know. I'm not 100% like into, I don't like automatically know what different kinds of sponges are like off the top of my head. But I know that this is something that they have talked about a number of times on this show. It's a bit of a bitch. And so at least, and it seemed like they were familiar with them, even if they were like, I tried it and it didn't work. Yeah. And I was like, I've been there. I know yeah, how that goes. Yeah, that's fair. I appreciate uh, that Jamie is in some sense a kindred spirit to me because uh, he says that, you know, he likes angel food cake, but like the 50 cent ones you get at the at the gas station. <laughs> and as a self-proclaimed lover of gas station food, that resonates with me. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. There were also a couple of lines from people that I really like. Henry saying, uh, I'm being very obedient. Whip. Somebody else saying, I've never feathered before. And I just found that inexplicable because feathering is perhaps the easiest decoration one can do. Isn't that fun? But so many of them did poorly. Right. But it's literally just stick it on top and drag drag a toothpick through it. Observation. The practice of mixing without squishing out air is one of my top five worst or bottom five worst baking tasks. Like things I hate the most. Like you've got this beautiful airy thing, but then you've got to mix something into it, but don't push the air out. And it's like, no, you're asking me to do mutually exclusive things and it's too hard and I hate it. I hate it. You have to just get it like just come, you're just combining it. You're not making sure that it's like a consistent mixture throughout. And it's funny that I like to bake because so much of baking is just enough, but not too much. Yeah, just, oh, oh, you got to be sure that you get it mixed in right, but don't overmix. And like, oh my God, why? Why is it like this? But it's, a lot of things are like that, I suppose. I watch this, uh, so I watch most TV when I have the choice with closed captioning on. Same. Um, so I don't know if you noticed that I'm at some diff. point, Noel is um is bugging somebody by, I think he's bugging Jamie by playing his, his mixing bowls like they're water glasses. But the closed captioning says, imitates harp music. What? <laughs> 
no, I missed that completely. That's and really I was funny. like, somebody don't know. Playing what the water like. glasses is a real thing. People know what that is. Yeah. It doesn't sound at all like a harp. Not even slightly. Nope, that is strange. There was somebody having a good time with that. I was like lying to the deaf and hard of hearing. Have you experienced like the niche meme practice of finding where someone really funny did the subtitles? They just capture what the subtitles are saying and it's like, like sleeps maniacally or, you know, like... Right. <laughs> strange. <laughs> like, it's usually not as a, like, an English as a second language problem either. It's usually more just like... Like someone had a boring job and decided to have some fun with it. Most people do pretty poorly with this. Yes. Like I would say that it doesn't get passable until about third or fourth place. Yeah. And the person at the very bottom was Jamie. Poor Jamie. He didn't even get that third layer on there. No. And there were a lot of comments about Sponge like it was rubbery or it was flat. They didn't get a, It didn't get enough air in because getting the air in and not smushing it out is a big thing. Right. Well, if you don't get air in it, then you're making a shit tort. <laughs> Frisbee. <laughs> Just a stack of Frisbees. I thought like people were like, it'll bounce. And I was like, it will bounce. Yes, it will. You tried. Bounce right into the uh, into the trash can. By that same token, you know, just because you didn't know what you were doing doesn't mean that you failed because Henry had also not ever made a Genoese before. True. And he came in top. Yeah. And he looked very surprised by that. Like <laughs> Henry's one of the peop- one of those people who wears his emotions all over his face, which I enjoy on this show, especially when it's like effervescent delight that <laughs> pops up on his sweet face. Yeah, he makes good TV. Yeah. So anything else about the technical before we move on? Uh, no. You know, I think it's telling that neither one of us attempted it this week. Uh, absolutely not. No, I don't even want to eat it that much. Oh, we, we put a pin in, is this too hard for the first week? I th- think you might be onto something there. Or maybe this is just exposing that this particular group of bakers are good designers maybe maybe they're more on the look and less on the like deep knowledge of historical baking uh i think that is 100 percent fair like because we're about to get into the showstoppers which were phenomenal great yeah i mean uh, for the first week wow mm-hmm. but angel food cake is not really that crazy nor is a genoese sponge you know it's used in many things no and there have definitely been contestants on other seasons who knew it all like right. who had done it all and there's not as much of this on. there's no nancy this season no exactly and that's the same person i was thinking of all right so we are on to the showstopper yes they have to make a birthday cake that is exactly what they wanted as a child and they have four hours to do it this was a pretty i don't know this is an emotional challenge for me because it's something that I feel very tenderly about. My mom did cakes for us and homemade, and she's not a professional baker. But I remember being so happy and excited and feeling really special getting to pick what I wanted. And so the idea of that just seemed like, I don't know, it's very much a love gift and something that's associated with a lot of positive memories. And the way that I was thinking about it is, is like, at what point do we like, as adults, is, does it become the the right thing to do to not make a big deal about your birthday? Huh. Like, the, oh, we all now, have friends now who... Now, like, oh, God, don't, please. I'm, I'm so sick of birthdays. At 33, just stop. Like, I just want to have a really good Thursday. But, like, you know, I, but I think that you would feel more special if, like, somebody brought you home, like, an elaborate cake. You know, yeah. like, 
something that even if it wasn't like a whole like day in to do, but just something where it's like, I got exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was just for, and it was because I wanted it today. And I think that's why birthdays when you're an adult become a little bit depressing because you still want that, but in order for that to happen for you, you really need this mom type character in your life who wants to do that for you. And nobody wants to do that for you like your mom did. Anywho, so they are off to the races with baking all of these sorts of things. So just a quick production note, they make them wear the same outfits two days in a row. Yeah, I yeah, isn't that funny? Like That's a common reality show thing. But the reason that you do it in most reality shows is because when they film the interviews, it's so that they can splice the interviews into whatever episode and whatever order they want to. Oh. So you might say something in week five and they'll splice it into week one's episode. I thought it might be because it would help you to remember who was who. Oh, okay. And see, I couldn't come up with why they did it because they don't do a lot of interview on this show. No. And they let them change from week to week, but it's just one weekend they're wearing the same thing. Maybe it is about contestant identification because they don't do a lot of chirons and things. Right. Continuity, that kind of thing. And so that was my guess anyway. But okay. That I'm makes a big, more sense. sweaty beast. So I, especially when they have hot days in the tent, I would be kind of sad at wearing the same thing twice because I, I would you got to bring two of it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I would have to because otherwise I would reek. No one would want to bake next to me. That's for darn sure. Ooh, and they're in front of an oven. Ooh. So they're walking around talking to everybody. Yes. Couple of things. How do you feel about desiccated coconut? Uh, actually, real good. I think that it's something I need to try again as an adult because I really didn't like it as a kid. Like, as a kid, that would have made me avoid the entire cake. I love coconut, and I love the way her dyed coconut. Oh, we're talking about Helena's. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's, let's wait for it. The big joke of the episode that delighted Paul to no end was he missed her, her garden. when she was saying her fairy garden which is the inspiration for a cake and her furry garden, which um, really could only mean one thing if that was what she was meaning to say. And it's probably, well, honestly, I have seen some cakes that featured a furry garden, but this, this one didn't. Yeah, but it's not really what a child wants for their birthday. They're usually a little older when they start thinking about Vagina such cake. things. Yep. And, you know, but, so she's doing a fairy garden. Our Welsh lady, Meredith, Meredith is doing her. Michelle. Yes. Not Meredith. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Uh, uh, Michelle is also doing a fairy garden. You know, they keep going around. I love Priya's books from when she was a little kid and the fact that she brought them. (laughs) Um, I thought that was pretty adorable because uh, she's like, you know, what 13, what 10 year olds putting an ISBN on their book? And I was like, I feel you though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like this one. I'm actually reading some stuff for work right now about like generalism versus specialism. And so the fact that David uses that cross-application of like a makeup skill. And he's like, I can use that in a cake. That's very much like in vogue right now as far as like, you know, the best way of like learning and whatnot. So that really resonated with me. I love the phrase, when I was we. Oh. You know, um, because I I, one time I was we, but (laughs) I don't know that I've ever described myself in that way. (laughs) It's very cute. I love the flavors in uh, Steph's cake. The dropped ice cream cone, she went with coconut and raspberry ripple. And the two of those sound so good together to me. Actually, I was kind of on the lookout for people who would maybe try to like adult up their cake by using a more adult palate. But for the, I think that everybody used something that I think I would actually have eaten 
as a child. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of, I noticed on the judging table after everybody had gone away and they were figuring out who stays, who goes, just looking at the table, it was so technicolor bright. Every cake used very bright coloring and that was pretty childlike too. I will say, I thought that Jamie's salted caramel schnauzer was adorable. I did too. They, you know, I mean, it was clear that he was having a little bit of a rough week, but like, I thought that that was fun. And they're like, it's really sweet. And I was like, what's for a kid? Yeah. It's a kid's favorite flavor. Yeah. That was a tricky challenge to me because they they asked for something that was childlike, but they don't really actually like childlike things very often. No, no. They, they you know. They think they're clumsy and sickly sweet. Right. But, and like, don't get me wrong. That, I mean... I'll talk about the cake I made later, but I mean, I would have had the same complaints about it, but it, it was a cake for a kid. It's, it's a kid cake, but anyway. Who of the showstoppers was your favorite? Now, David's was amazing. Like, yeah. And that was the snake. Yeah. The snake wrapped around the egg and you crack the egg open and it has baby gummy snakes in it. That was pretty incredible. For a second, I would say the sweet shop that Alice did. It looked like a Polly Pocket. It was I'm so cute. glad you said that because like they were like, it's a little clumsy. I th- I found it so charming. Like it's, it looks, it looks like my childhood. It looks like a cake that a, a child would want. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's not a work of art that's whimsical for children, but I really liked it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I had a little bit of issue with the challenge because I mean, like we were saying, a birthday cake is a cake your mom made. Is it perfect? No, but it's made with love and it's exactly the thing that you are into and that you wanted, that you asked for. And she really stretched and she made it happen. And they kind of wanted something that was a little more picture perfect. And that's, right. there There was a balance there that needed to happen, I guess. And I don't know. I, mean, I get that it's a showstopper and it needed to be a showstopper. But that's a little bit at odds with what I think of when I think of kids' birthday cake. Probably my other favorite was uh, Steps, the upside down ice cream cone. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that that was really clever. But like, you know, there are some that I thought that were technically better than maybe the ones we've mentioned, like Henry's woodland cake. Yes. But I don't know that it was necessarily the most childlike. I don't know that that is what, you know, a nine-year-old would want, even if they wanted a cake based off of that book. Yeah, that wouldn't... it. His looked like a wedding cake to me. Right. It was too, it was just too elegant. Yes. And I I agree there. So anything else you want to say about the uh, the showstopper? Um, I thought that Emilio's was probably my least favorite. The carousel that had that really thick fondant on it, that just did not look good to me. Uh, when it came to, oh, Michael's pirate treasure chest, I loved the octopus tentacles coming out of it. Paul was absolutely right when he said that the decoration of this cake would be the hardest part. And I think that what you said about these, this being a crew of really good decorators really came, was, was clear. This is the very first time I've ever seen people on Bake Off use Rice Krispie to augment the shape of a bake. And that's like a, that's a go-to in American cooking competitions. And three of them did it. Right. No, they made their own Rice Krispie and all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they made their own Rice Krispie treat. But that's not really, that's not an old habit no. from this competition. So the fact that, like, 
you know, maybe that's where they spent their time was learning those sorts of treat of tricks. You know, maybe it will help them out because you know, a lot of people have gone home for it just being not special enough. Did you um, notice the visual joke when Phil was... Uh, uh, doing yes, the nose uh, cone. Doing my cone by hand. Yeah, caressing yeah. his, and I quote, tiny little thing. And, oh my gosh. Yeah, see, and that's, it's moments like that that I miss Mel and Sue because, like, they would have had the perfect, like, zinger yes, for that. Yes, they absolutely would. And I don't think Phil knew that he was doing it at all. And I like to imagine his response when he saw the show air. Like, <laughs> like oh my God. I didn't even know. Ugh. What we ended up with is we ended up with probably Michelle and David in the top, or um, not Michelle and David. Uh, yeah, sorry, Michelle and Steph probably in the top, and then Jamie and Dan down at the bottom. And then, of course, during the judging, uh, we had to say goodbye to Dan um, because he just had kind of a rough day in every challenge, I'm afraid. Well, and they said, you know, it was like, we're sending you home because of the signature bake. So it wasn't even the showstopper. Which I could kind of take or leave his. I thought it was middle of the pack. Yeah. But, you know, it like Jamie had a really rough time of it. And if he's going to stick it out, he really has to start pulling some things out. Mm-hmm. And it, although that said, I thought the schnauzer was adorable. So I'm, and I'm sticking with it. That was very <laughs> cute. I would be super proud of myself if I did that cake for Helen for a birthday. All right. So, I mean, this looks like a great cast. Yeah. And so we will get to learn quite a bit more about them in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. But for now, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will be talking through our bakes. All right. And we're back. So this week, I took on the signature bake of making a fruitcake with a preponderance of fruit. <laughs> what was, did you go with your craisins? So there are craisins in it. Okay. Uh, there are quite a number of fruits in this. Um, <laughs> so for You bought this, out that I, aisle. A little bit. So uh, I had never made a fruitcake before, and I don't. That's not something we really ate in my family. So, like, I don't have a an old Welsh grandmother to get a fruitcake recipe mm, from. Uh, we didn't mention that, but, like, everybody used their grandma's recipe, that challenge. Uh, and so, You know, my grandma does have a lot of date recipes. I think dates were, like, hot for a minute in mid-century America. I went back to our good friends at King Arthur Flower and used their everyone's favorite fruitcake recipe. Mm, that's high praise. This fruitcake has... Here we go. It says, feel free to substitute your own favorites if you don't want to use their fruits. You just want to make sure that you have about two and a half pounds of dried fruit. God in damn! <laughs> pounds! Oh my gosh. So, I was like, well, even if this cake isn't claggy, it's probably going to be the heaviest cake I've ever made. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Two and a half pounds is 40 ounces. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> So it's expensive. I have discovered a love of the Aldi, and so okay. I was like, "Let's see what sort of dried fruits they've got at the Aldi." Because these that's days. what's because, going in the cake. <laughs> well, and they actually had everything that was on this recipe except for crystallized ginger. Nice. I wonder if they have Aldi in Hawaii. I don't know, but like, it's it's great. Okay. I love it. Uh, I saved so much money there. I used a bag of dried tropical fruit, which was banana, pineapple, and coconut. Okay. Uh, I had golden raisins. Okay. I had dried apricots, mm. chopped dates, candied cherries. Good God. And uh, instead of crystallized ginger, I put in craisins because I didn't have ginger. I don't like crystallized ginger anyway. Uh, I kind of do. Okay. But I also wasn't going to go to a whole store when that was the only recipe, the only ingredient I couldn't find at all. It tastes like chemotherapy to me. 
because <laughs> oh. people recommend it for um ginger for the nausea exactly yeah. and so I, I tried that for a while and found out that now ginger just tastes like nausea mm-hmm. yeah gross it happens so anyway so i took all of that and then i submerged it in three quarters of a cup of apple juice because much like you i don't love a strong dark liquor flavor no. Uh, which is brandy and rum is typically, and by rum they mean spiced rum, uh, is typically what you use to rehydrate these things. But you can use apple or cranberry juice. Speaking of grandmas, grandmas love that shit. I mean, like, my grandma can take some whiskey down. Dale loves whiskey, so we have drinking whiskey, but we don't really have cooking whiskey in this house. Right. But then you are supposed to leave it, like, overnight. And, like, you can cook it over heat and do it in an hour, but... I left it overnight because, well, I started it one night when I was feeling ambitious and then I was tired and I went to bed. <laughs> that happens to me a lot. So, <laughs> but luckily, when I got up the next morning, uh, my cup was, or my butter was very much at room temperature. <laughs> okay. So you take a cup of butter okay. and two cups of dark brown sugar and you whip that together until it's fully combined. Mm. And then the only spices you're adding in is some salt, cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg. I mean, those very typical winter cake flavors okay and then a little bit of baking powder and four eggs and then you're just whipping the, all of that together until it makes a batter that sounds really nice until i think about the two and a half pounds of fruit and then it's like ooh. right then you add in three cups of flour and you can add some cocoa i did but the cocoa is strictly there for color oh. it's to make it that dark brown fruitcake color okay and then you add in a little bit of corn syrup uh some more Apple juice or water or cranberry juice, basically something to make it less claggy. And so if you're following along, you might be like, well, so far you've added six cups of stuff or six and a quarter cups of stuff plus another half a cup plus the four eggs. So like it's like two quarts of stuff in the mixer before you ever add the fruit. God, it's massive. No wonder people give it for gifts. Right. (laughs) You got to get rid of it somehow. So I so I threw the fruit in, and it's the first time that I think that I've ever filled up my mixer where I wouldn't feel comfortable putting more things oh in God. it. Oh, my God. And I think my mixer is a six-quart mixer. Same. Yeah. Oh, it's um, real big. Like, you can do two loaves of bread in there. They said to fill up your tin three-quarters of the way. And they, and then they, for this, they were like, you can do it a number of different ways. You can make it in muffins. You can do it in loaves, whatever. So I thought, oh, I'll be festive. I'll use cake dish that I've got that's got like the ridges in it that I used for my Savarin last year. Mm. And and I'll make it in that. Sprayed it down really good and stuck it in there. But even after that, I had enough for six fruitcake muffins. Jeez. Full-size muffins. So you stick that in the oven for at 300 degrees. And like you don't even need to check it until an hour and 15 minutes has passed. Dang. And really the cake, you know, like the muffins kind of came out at about an hour 20. The cake was probably a good hour and 45 in the oven. This is the part where we remember that the challenge two and a half hours. was two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah. So, so like, that's impossible. why. But I made a much bigger cake than they did. Okay. Well, you'd have. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like once you made it one time, you'd be like, oh, it's never going to work unless I make like a loaf. Um, you can actually see in the episode that David uh, has partitioned his particular baking thing into like one sixth of the pan. Huh. And that's the loaf he's making. Okay. And I thought that that was pretty smart. Clever, yeah. So anyway, so then you bring it out and then you need to top it in something because that's how you keep fruitcake moist. That's why you soak it in rum or brandy or something like that. I didn't like any of that. And so I made a simple syrup Good. and just soaked it in the simple syrup. Nice. 
uh, or just brushed it with simple syrup instead of, uh, you know, you don't soak it exactly. This is reminding me a lot of, oh, what was that yeasted cake we did? Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. This happened. Saffron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you make it and then it's done. And so like, it's not <laughs> it's not any harder than any sort of cake that's like, you know, put everything in the mixer, pour it into your tin, decorate once it's cool. Did you decorate or did you just go with? I just used the, the syrup and whatnot. Um, you know, I... It was a a busy week, and uh, oh, so, I'm not shaming you, sir. Like, <laughs> um, well, they like decorated it, and I was like, I didn't decorate it at all. Nope, don't want so to. I I put it in my kit carrier and took it to work, and the first day it was there, nobody ate any, and then I was off today, so I don't know if I'm going to get back to work tomorrow, and nobody has still eaten any of this cake. But I think because fruitcake learned... has a reputation, right? I think we've learned something about American tastes there. And so, but I did eat some of the muffins. Okay. You know, because they're the same thing, basically. Be a solid breakfast. It is a solid breakfast. I gotta say, I didn't care for this. Mm, yeah. It wasn't bad, but it is one of those things where you have to be super conscious of what you are putting in the cake. Okay. Because, actually looking back on it, I think that the craisins are too sharp. Oh, no. And so, they're not bad, you know? I mean, like, it's fine. It's just if I were to make this again, I think that I'd stick more, instead of, you know, the, what is it, six different kinds of fruit that I stuck in this. Yes. I think I do like two or three. Right, because it's too, ugh, that's just a lot of different flavors competing with one another. Right. And some of this stuff is, you know, I mean, like a cherry and a cranberry is always going to outshine a date. That's true. Yeah, because that's more of a, a, a rich or a dark flavor kind of. I think of dates as being kind of like brown sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's a fine sort of thing, but it's very heavy. Yes. You know, you don't want to eat a ton of it. It's very prone to sticking. And and I think that that's like the molasses and the brown sugar and all that sort of thing. It was fine, Mm -hmm. but you know, and it, it, but it wasn't anything really special. And you know, like I haven't done a ton of baking since we moved to the new place, but I made a a key lime cake for a coworker's party a few weeks ago. Sounds good. And I much preferred that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there is something to be said for cultural tastes. Being because right. like we've they've done steamed puddings on the show and I just I have a harder time liking a wet cake. I mean like I love a pound cake. I love a sour cream based cake. I, and so much of it I think is just what I've learned is good culturally as opposed right. to like if you'd had stuff like this growing up you might just love it to death. But well and Dale well Dale actually asked me he's like well what would you serve this with and I was like. I guess like a good cup of tea. Yeah. You, I mean, you need something hot to kind of help lubricate it a little bit, but it is really rich. I was thinking a hot you know, toddy. It, yeah, yeah. You know, but you want something kind of warm and soothing. I mean, that's very much the vibe of it. I, and also in all of those things that I told you you put in the cake, I actually missed an ingredient. Oh, my Lord. There's another two cups of walnuts in there. Jesus. Oof. Oof. I, yeah, it's... That's a lot. It, it is a lot. I'm trying and to think so, of an American thing that people from other places might not like. Like a Southern thing. Oh, have you ever had Mississippi mud cake? Yeah. To me, like, I, that's a big thing. People love it. To me, it's too much. It's like way <laughs> too much. It's like, here's a slab of brownie covered in marshmallow, covered in fudge. No, thank you. Well, it's, it's like the, the moon pie is pretty polarizing. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fruit cake has kind of the same quality of like, y- you love it or you don't. And evidently you don't. And you you learned that very honestly with the maximum amount of effort. This 
cake does have a preponderance of fruit. It does. It was evenly, it was evenly distributed throughout the entire cake. You know, so like every bite, you kind of got something in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it didn't burn. Like it was, you know, it was very much like right on the line. And so I, I'm pretty sure I made it correctly. It just wasn't exactly my taste. Yes. If you like fruitcake or if you're really into dried fruit or you really like these darker spice flavors in a cake, go for it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I think there's nothing wrong with this recipe. I just think it wasn't for me. Okay, this reminds me. So my Nana, uh, my great-grandmother on my mother's side, was very much a character. And one of the things she really loved, she lived in 96. And one of her favorite things was raisins soaked in gin. I want to say. And it was like, mom told me it was like a health fad at some point. Like you're supposed to eat six raisins soaked in gin, but Nana just liked it because she liked booze and raisins. And so she did like, she just always had like a little jar in her fridge of raisins soaking in booze. So like Nana would have been all over it, but you, you made a depression era cake, I think. Yeah, it's a cake from another time. And there's a, you know, because we have moved on to other kinds of sweeteners and things like that. If you like dried fruit, that's great. But it's not really, you know, and something else to think about is a dried fruit, much like the cherry cake that you made last time, it's going to mess with the texture of your cake. You're not going to get that light, airy, cake-like structure Mm -mm. that is a cake. You're going to get a lot more chewy and gummy and little bits of stuff. And it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. It just right. No, that that was the goal. It's not what you're used to. This is reminding me of a book that I've read, actually, cover to cover, and I don't think I made anything out of it. But it was fun reading, and it won uh, the James Beard Award. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure in what year, but it's Heirloom Baking with the Brass Sisters, and I really recommend it. There are these ladies, uh, Sheila and Marilyn Brass, and they went through using heirloom recipe cards that they found here, there, and everywhere, and eventually created a cookbook with it, but they're genuine heirloom recipes from mostly the early 20th century, and it's really different and pretty fun, like just different flavors and textures than we're used to, but I mean, you could find a new favorite for sure, but it's fun to read. It's sort of 50-50 baking in history. All right, so let's leave the fruitcake behind us. Okay. Tell us about what you made. So I decided to take to, to make the exact cake that I very clearly remembered wanting as a child. I have a vivid memory of this book that my mother had. I think I mentioned it on the last episode. And it was kids' cakes, and there was a castle. I was the most femme child imaginable. I mean, I'm not exactly like a tomboy now or a tom woman. Then I was very much about the princess dress, the castle cake, and you know, all the the fairy gardens that happened were definitely up my alley. So for my last birthday, my mom actually gave me a book she found, The Big Book of Kids Birthday Cakes, which is clearly English because it does everything grams and liters or milliliters mostly. And it is this huge, really fun book of approachable kids' cakes. And I found a couple of different castles in it, but I decided to go with the one that was the most princessy. So that was my shape. And it has four turrets, one at each corner. The base cake is a nine inch square. And then there is a second tier sitting on top that is a six inch round. And the idea is that for each turret, you cut out a little corner of the cake and sort of press the turret into the cake. 
And so you end up with this cute little castle. But the book with the decorating, it recommended using box cake, which, I mean, is absolutely fine. 100% mom cake. Mom's making cakes for kids. You know, I'm all about that. And I think it's really sweet. But for the show... And the podcast, I wanted to do something from scratch. So I found a recipe in another favorite book, Back in the Day Bakery Made with Love by Cheryl and Griffith Day. I went with the confetti cupcakes with all-American buttercream frosting because that seemed like kid stuff. And when it says confetti, it means funfetti. Uh, So (laughs) I thought, okay, we're going to do funfetti. No trademarks here. Exactly. Uh, They are not stepping on those toes. That belongs to somebody, evidently. So I ended up having to do a batch and a half of the cupcakes with buttercream. And that was a pretty simple recipe. It most notably called for, it did call for four teaspoons of baking powder, and which is quite a bit. And Right, that's going to be pretty light. Yep. Well, you'd think that, but it also called for five large egg whites, which I had to up to seven or eight. And I ended up using five cups of cake flour. And the cake flour becomes notable later. I've actually never used cake flour in a recipe. So this was an experiment and I have some feelings about it. Do you know what the difference between cake and all-purpose flour is? Uh, It has less gluten. Well, it's ground much finer. I know that much. It's like baby powder. It's different. And... I'll go ahead and say that that was one of the things about this recipe that I felt went wrong. I did not love this cake recipe. Once it was all together and done, I felt like the mouthfeel of it was a little bit like I had bitten into a handful of baby powder. Ew. Yeah, it it wasn't dry exactly. Like the cake had moisture in it. How could it not? Because it had, uh, I ended up using 18 tablespoons of butter in the cake alone. And then, of course, there was also the buttercream, but it it was too fine. It felt like like a snowball, like a dry snowball in my mouth. It it was it was not my favorite. And just to give you an idea, I threw the last of this cake away. And yeah. I did like the way the sprinkles turned out. I liked the way it looked. <laughs> um, but it was, and it wasn't cardboardy. It wasn't dry exactly. And I really do blame the cake flour. I think if I had done uh, one cup of cake to maybe two cups AP, that it would have gone a lot yeah. better. And But now okay. I know that. And so, uh, and that seems like something that's correctable. The texture ended up much more like a pound cake, which was not what I was expecting. When you say funfetti or confetti cupcakes, I think light, fluffy box cake because that's what... Right, you're thinking white cake, yeah. Yeah, and and it wasn't. And I don't know why I didn't recognize that looking at the recipe, but it's like poop ton of eggs, ton of butter, and I mean quite a bit of sugar. So it's a pound cake. And it came together starting uh, mixing flour, sugar, baking powder, salt... And then you add the butter a few pieces at a time, mixing until it comes to coarse sand, and then add in the liquid, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the usual process? Say it one more time, sorry. So you start with all the dry ingredients. You Mm -hmm. add your softened butter until Mm -hmm. it makes coarse sand, almost like you were making pastry in a food processor. And then you add the milk. And I feel like that's not the usual process. Mm -hmm. 
No, usually you combine all the wet and all the dry and then, and then add. put them together at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, it was a different kind of process for putting it together. And since it wasn't particularly successful, I don't know that I'll use that process again. <laughs> but um, for the buttercream recipe, and I've experienced this before. It's what I would have wanted as a kid, so I was right to do that. But it used, I ended up doing a batch and a half, but I'll just tell you what the recipe says. Two sticks of unsalted butter at room temperature, seven cups confectioner's sugar, half a cup of whole milk, two teaspoons vanilla extract, plus food coloring. And I did pink and purple because, you know, Barbie. Right. And it was just so sweet. Seven cups of confectioner's sugar. Yeah. And... Ooh. Yeah. And so it was just... I... I don't... Am I doing it wrong? Like, I don't know. But, like, I know that's... That's a pretty typical American buttercream, but it just doesn't taste good to me anymore. Well, it's like that over-reliance on icing. And that's the problem. When you have an overly sweet icing, it basically means that there's nothing to the cake. Yeah. You know, and, and so if you need to hide a like a plethora of sins, then sure, stick a bunch of sugar on there. You yeah. Know, and everybody will say it's great. But if you actually put some work into the cake part, then you don't want all that sugar because it will outshine everything. And the cake kind of, I mean... The cakes. Not that you love this cake, but right. in general theory principle. Yeah, and so the, the cake itself just didn't have much flavor to speak of beyond some vanilla extract. And I have good vanilla, so it... Ah, oof. Uh, but the cake was a mess. Long story short, cake was a mess. Didn't like the recipe. I'm questioning my, my love of the American buttercream. I need to try something else next time. I have trouble <laughs> with icing and decorating in general, but... um. Yeah, the in this case the the recipe let me down, and I made a ton of it, so that was fun too. Uh, and so, and this buttercream was just like a traditional like just buttercream and sugar. Yep, yep. So I think that you have maybe your palate has gotten a little bit more sophisticated, and you want like a buttercream that's got like fruit mixed into it, or lemon extract, or almond extract. Yes. You know, but I mean, buttercream such a staple, but like. You almost never just see just a buttercream, right. especially as like the outer layer of a cake. Yep. And it was, I mean, it was a letdown. So live and learn. I, I won't be doing that one again. And I was also kind of surprised because back in the day, doesn't usually let me down. But that cake flour in particular took it from being like, oh, it's just a sweet, simple cake to being like, this is a mess. Like, I really don't like this. Mm. Like, kind of sad that I gave some of it away to people. Now they think I'm a crap baker. But because uh, I gave some to a neighbor and some to a friend, and now one's still a neighbor, but I don't know if they're a friend anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. The cutting and the putting together of the cake actually went pretty well. I used uh, Rice Krispie treats to make the turrets, and then I was just going to kind of stick them on and then put uh, used ice cream cones to go on the top, and I used store bought because I'm, I'm like that, and I realized that just Rice Krispie treats without any frosting or anything on them looked exactly like corn cobs. So I <laughs> I put some extra frosting on them and then rolled them in sprinkles, and that was pretty festive. And I decorated it with yogurt-dipped pretzels, so they were white, which looked nicer than, like, a pretzel pretzel. And those were store-bought, too. I know I was, like, going full-scale, like, half-assing at this point. But it's good that I didn't put any more work into it because the cake was bad. But what is more mom than being, like, yep. you know, it's the, it's the semi-homemade. There you go. Is that Sara Lee's thing? Yep, good enough. Good enough. And I bought a ton of stuff thinking, like, I don't know how to decorate. All I know really is just stick some candy on it and hope for the best. But, uh... <laughs> 
but it ended up looking pretty good. It came together all right. I did a little bit of piping, um, which I have a lot of trouble with icing temperature, and I think my icing was way too warm. So my icing oh, was yeah. pretty globby. I I struggled with this one. I mean, you take on the showstopper and you you got to deal with a hot mess, and it was it was a little bit of a mess, but. When you see the picture, you won't guess that it's a mess because you don't have to eat it. And it actually looked okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I thought that your showstopper, it looks great. It does. It looks very on theme for this. And while it may not be as spectacular as anything on this show. No, no, it was nowhere close to that. It is definitely, it's more than just a cake round. Like it, it... you know, it has a, a childlike whimsy to it that I think is is adorable. Yeah, and thank you. And I will definitely try for Helen, like her second birthday's in March. And I will absolutely, I don't know if by two she'll care what the cake looks like, but I would let her choose and just attempt whatever she thought was cute. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll totally do that. I want that to be kind of part of who I am as mom because it's something I remember about my own mom. Like we have standard birthday cake. Birthday cake in my house is chocolate box cake. No, excuse me. For me, it's yellow cake. But for several people, it's also chocolate box cake. And then a an icing where my mom uses strong coffee for the liquid ingredient. And mm-hmm. so the mocha icing. And that is, that's how you do it. Well, and I think that, you know, just with the challenges on this episode in general is it's kind of hard to reinvent the cake. Yes, you know, I mean, cake is such a staple, like we were saying at the top of the show, where it is the thing that a lot of people think about first when they think about baking, that, you know, you can try things that are out there, but it's one of the areas where everybody has a strong opinion about what they like and what they don't. That's true. I don't know. If I were to do it again, I don't want to say that I'd absolutely do box cake, but I think, like, box cake's a little bit nostalgic, for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was a good episode. It was a good episode and a good time. I will confess my husband got home and opened the refrigerator and was like, what are you going to do with all of this? Because it was pretty huge. It took up like half of the bottom shelf with cake and it wasn't anybody's birthday. It wasn't a special occasion. It was just like Thursday. Like, I don't know. Well, I I feel you, but you and I both made things that were very much outside of our wheelhouses, not something that we had made before. Mm -hmm. And... While they might not have been the most successful, we learned a lot and we became better bakers because of it. Better people. Yes, and is there anything more (laughs) the Gingham Altar podcast than that? That's a good point. Like, it was a train wreck, (laughs) but I learned. (laughs) I learned that I don't want to do that again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I learned that fruitcakes are forgiving, not for eating. (laughs) That's that's really funny. I like that. And I learned that it's the thought that counts when your mom makes you a cake because the cake might not actually be very good. <laughs> or the fruitcake that you give to somebody. Yeah, exactly. It really is the thought that counts. <laughs> because the cake don't count for shit. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like the show, please rate or review it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at The Gingham Altar Show. You can see pictures of our bakes on Instagram at The Gingham Altar Show. And our, our theme music is Cheery Monday, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 attribution from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. And you can see all of, you can get all of that information and more by looking in the show notes each week. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Megan. And this is Matt. Wishing you a lovely bake. Bye.